Please be seated. Isn't it so wonderful that we can sing in truth that our God is so mighty? Our God is greater than all things in this world because he has created everything that exists. There is nothing. The Bible says there is nothing too powerful, too great for me to do. Isn't that awesome? We can rejoice in our mighty God. Sometimes we just need to stop and remember. Remember the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. When things are overwhelming, just be still and remember who's in control. Jasper today, it's so good to see you again. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all fathers. Amen. Okay, just a quick announcement. Uh, this coming Saturday, Homeless Ministry at 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. If you are uh, interested to volunteer, just ask Larry at the back and uh, Ms. Beth McFarland at the back. And also to our guests, if this is your first time, we encourage you to fill out our guest registration card and uh, hope you will enjoy worshiping with us. And to those who are watching online, once again, we have two additional rooms for smaller settings. We have 108 and 109, and mass is required and room 108. Shall we? Prepare our hearts as we worship God, shall we pray? Father, we thank you, Lord, for who you are and for what you have done, especially for preserving and sustaining each one of us this week. And once again, it is our joy to see our brother and sister in Christ in this place with full of joy and reverence as we unite our hearts in singing and worshiping you, Lord. And we pray that you will make... Uh, this day, an extraordinary day for each one of us, that we will encourage those who are discouraged and comfort those who are need uh, comforts and enlighten those who are confused and asking for guidance. We ask, Lord, for 
that you will strengthen those who are weak and tired, and especially, Lord, save those who are unsafe, that you will continue to convict their hearts, and you will continue to, to help them to see your goodness and faithfulness, Lord, that they will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And we pray, Lord, that you will bless our time together, and we bring back all the glory and honor that is due to you, and we commit this thing to your name, Christ, we pray, amen. Amen. You know, Father's Day, I was thinking about this. I have a, a nephew who just had natural triplets. Well, I mean, his wife. His wife just had natural triplets. <laughs> And I, I sent him this quote from the Bible. It says, children of one's youth are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Blessed is he whose quiver is full of them. And he's already got three. Let's sing. Faith of our fathers. Faith of our fathers living still. Of dungeon fire and sword, oh, how our hearts beat high with joy whenever we hear that glorious word. Faith of our fathers, holy faith, we will be true to thee till death. Faith of Fathers, we will strive to win all nations unto thee, and through the truth that comes from God, mankind shall then be truly free. Faith of our fathers, holy faith, we will be to thee till death. Just the men. Faith of our fathers we will love both friend and foe in all our strife and preach thee to as love knows how by kindly words and virtuous life. Faith of our Father's holy faith, we will be true to Thee till death. Amen. Is anybody thankful for a father that has been a good influence in their lives? <clears throat> a father who has taught them the Word of God, the love of God, and lived an example before them. Not everybody has that privilege. Not everybody is blessed with that. It's so much of a blessing when God gives us parents who love Him and live out His love in, in their lives for us to follow. We're going to sing this last song together. <clears throat> Excuse me. Father, we love you. Glorify thy name. Oh, 
sing a special song for you now you. special father's day song <clears throat> is anybody uh familiar with god being good to you oh, yes. that's good let's you know the bible says let the redeemed of the lord say so let those who knows that god's been good to them say so say amen. amen i think that was just about everybody here because god is so good to all of us and if we will Give our lives to him. He will bless us so much. We just can't even understand how much. Let's, um, we're going to sing together for you. He's been good. I have known the Father's care for me. He's been good, he's been good through it all. He's always there for me. God's been good to me. I have known the Father's care for me. He's been good, he's been good through it all. He's always there for me. God's been good to me. God's been good to me. Sing with us. <clears throat> Sing this next verse and chorus with us if you would. 
have known the Father's care for me. He's been good, He's been good. Through it all, He's always there for me. God's been good to me. Through the storm, through the night, come what may, everything's gonna be alright. I have known the Father's God's been good to me. God's been good to me. Amen. I'll let you stay out. Stay out as late as you want. You want to borrow the new car? You want to borrow my credit card? Kids today, they really have it rough. I have no idea where we are or where we're going. I mean, when I was their age, life was easy. Super easy. Why haven't you gotten a tattoo yet? How come you don't have any piercings yet? Yep, we're lost. We are completely lost. Ooh, sports. It, it, just do whatever the mechanic says to do. Vehicle maintenance is completely overrated. Look, whatever the mechanic is asking, just pay him. Pay him whatever he wants. I wish they had soap operas at night. I like that boy. You should date him. You should date him immediately. Well, what about the creepy guy with the motorcycle? He's cute. Yeah, sure. Spring break in Tahiti sounds fun. Hey, make sure you get all your video games done before you start your homework. You don't have to pass all your classes. What? You have a project due tomorrow and you've known about it for four weeks and you haven't started yet? Sweet! Doesn't anybody want to know if we're there yet? Remember, if you need anything between midnight and 4 a.m., please come wake me up. Hey, I'm on the phone. Could you bring the baby over and let him climb all over me? Hey! Hey! Can you please turn that music up? Well, we just stopped for lunch 10 minutes ago, but yeah, let's stop again. I never have trouble with my toddler. I never have trouble with my teenagers. I never have trouble with my adult children. You know, she's right. We are ruining her life. Yes, more homework to correct. All right, whining. Yay, tantrums. Hmm, vomit. We just really need to spoil these kids more. Sorry, buddy. I don't know any good jokes at all. You're 16. You pretty much know everything now. I think 18's a great age to get married. Okay, remember, make sure you turn on all the lights before you leave the house. Hey, could you leave the front door open for a couple hours? Thanks. Whoa, money really does grow on trees. You guys can thank Mr. Paul for that. He found that and he asked if that would be appropriate and I said I think it'd be great. 
Good morning, Tucson Mountain. Good morning. Oh, that was sort of weak. You're not awake yet. Hey, you know what? <clears throat> we have some real issues with fathers today. Well, my notes are all out of whack. That's what I get for trying to do this and trying to get water on. We are without water again this morning for the third time in a week. So if you want to take a nice little dip and cool off, just drive down to Camino Verde and go between Camino Verde and Bop, and the water's flowing. The river's running, I'm telling you. All right? You know, one of the main problems we see today plaguing America is the absence of fathers. And now, ladies, I want you to listen today, but this is, guys, I love you, but I'm targeting you today. All right? Weldon M. Hardenbrook, I had to get that guy's name right, wrote a book back in 1987 called Missing from Action, Vanishing Manhood in America. He served on the staff of Campus Crusade for Christ and pastored an extremely orthodox church in Santa Cruz, California during that time. But one of the things he said in his book was in regard to this missing in action, he described four particular types of men that the world, now we talked about it last week, you know, the differences in the world. Now he's talking about the world. Everything today we're looking at is the world as the population. The general population does not know Christ as Savior. So when we look at this today, I want you to think about these things. He describes some people, some men, that really aren't very godly role models. So the very first one we have is the macho maniac. And these are all his descriptions. These first four fill-ins are his descriptions. But these are his idea of what the world is promoting as manly men. So I want you to listen to these. The macho maniac. This is the dirty, hairy, Rambo, Clint Eastwood, diehard, RoboCop 2 type of guy. They deny all their feelings and your feelings. They ignore a lot of things. They never complain, but they also never apologize. They can accomplish the impossible in under seven minutes. They can take anything you dish out, but they'll dish out more to you. Now, these are his mindsets, okay? The second one is known as the great pretender. The great pretender. This is the Archie Bunker type of person who builds up his self-worth by constantly belittling someone else, especially his wife and his family. He rules over his family while everyone actually ridicules him behind his back. He's frightened of the world, by the world, so he keeps everyone at arm's length by his constant caustic conversations. And we all know people like these gentlemen. So I want you to think about this. I pray none of you are this way. But if you are, this is an opportunity for you to look at some godly manhood capabilities characteristics, abilities that maybe we should take on today. The third one is the world-class wimp. The world-class wimp. This is the Dagwood Bumstead type of person who is so inept, he's constantly outwitted by his children, his wife, and even his dog. Nobody really takes him seriously. His motto is, blessed are the passive, for they shall avoid conflict at all costs. And then the last one is one we're having trouble with today in greater ways than we ever possibly could think of, maybe back in 1987. 
when he wrote this, this is the gender blender. This is the Michael Jackson, Boy George, Prince type of gentleman, if you want to call him that. They don't even try to pretend to be masculine. There's quite a large amount of confusion of the roles of identity, he says. In People magazine, there was a psychologist who asked his seven-year-old nephew. Now, this is, remember, this is back in 87, 88. He asked his seven-year-old nephew whether Michael Jackson was a boy or a girl. He said both. <clears throat> That's the end of his quotes. His book is saying, in America today, there is a major, a large, extremely <laughs> huge overall identity issue for men. They struggle with that. But if we look at what the Bible says, you know, there's some alternatives. And there's godly alternatives. So we're going to look at six of those today, specifically. There's some key values here. The Bible tells us that you can't determine a person's greatness by their wealth. They can't determine their greatness and their value by their wealth. What you determine their greatness by is the wealth of their values. Gentlemen, where are your values this morning? That's what I want to ask you. And that's what we have to ask myself all the time. So as we talk about this, I'm going to be going back between you and myself. So let's think about this. Paul gives us two examples this morning. Epaphroditus, now that's a name that you would like to have, right? And Timothy, Paul writes about these guys. And he says in Philippians 2.20, Paul says of Timothy, I have no one else like him. He's very rare. And Epaphroditus, he says in 2.29 in Philippians, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor. Honor men like him. He gives us a list of characteristics of these two men that we're going to look at this morning. These are characteristics that I think all godly men should have. The very first one, and it's going to be a helicopter ride, okay? God is looking for men of compassion. He's looking for men who will put their relationships before results. Now, we had, we had a men's prayer time yesterday morning. It was a good time. And some of these things, I don't know. I believe that these guys are stealing my notes on Friday night <laughs> for Saturday morning prayer time. Because they're always right on task of where we're going with the message the next day. So those of you who were here yesterday, you're getting a double shot, okay? Timothy in Philippians 2.20 says this. I have no one else like him. And he's talking about Timothy again. Who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Listen, this is a man that puts relationships before results. Now, I'm going to be very, very honest. This is not natural for me. I am not good at relationships. I am much better at trying to get results. I'm very task-oriented. I'm very mindset. I get something in my mind I would like to see done. I'd like to push to get it through and get it accomplished and then move on to the next thing. I think most men are that way. Now, ladies, that's not saying you can't do the same thing. But I think you are much better at relationships than we are as men. I think God wired you that way. Somebody said we know that. 
Quite often, women tend to be more relational. And that's okay. God made us that way. But the Bible tells us, men, listen to this. It says, if we have not love, we don't have anything. Jesus said in Mark 8, 36, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? We have to look at our relationships, gentlemen, with other men and with others overall completely differently than what I think we have been. Or maybe what some of us have been. <laughs> you know, I tend to forget that relationships are as important as they are. Because I'm working on the task, I'm concentrating on the result. But Philip's translation says they are all wrapped up in their own affairs. Psychologists and psychiatrists have recently told us that the average father spends less than three minutes a day, three minutes a day, in a serious conversation with their child. That's sad to me. But it's very possible, too. The kids come along and they say, hey, you know, let's play ball, Dad. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm working on something. I'm trying to, now that a bunch of people working at home, that's, that's become another issue. Now, with people working at home, I think they have more opportunity, but I don't know if they're taking time to plug in that opportunity. So I don't know. How do you develop a relationship if you're only spending three minutes a day talking to someone in a serious conversation? You can't. It's just impossible. God is looking for men and women of compassion. As men, especially fathers, it's imperative that we balance those things in our life, even with our adult children. The second thing God is looking for is men of consistency. Men of consistency. Listen, these are men who will put character before conformity. Now, what does that mean? They're not afraid to take and be different in the current culture. They're not afraid to take that stand. I know there's some men in here that have done that and are willing to do that. But you know what? They're not afraid to take a stand for what they know is right. They don't care or think, well, what does everybody else say? What is everybody else thinking? They, they ask the question, what does this say? What does God say? And what is God thinking about this? And they respond accordingly. That's the key. That's the consistency. Listen. Back in, I don't know what year it was, an NFL pro football player was given the opportunity after his team won the Super Bowl. And he was a Christian. He was given the opportunity for a full spread in Playboy magazine. When Playboy magazine was being printed, not online like it is today, I found out. He was given that opportunity. And he says, I'm a Christian. I can't do that. I won't do that. That's consistency. That is being able to take the stand. He's putting his character before the conformity of the rest of the world. It's important. Philippians 2.22 says this. Timothy has proved, circle that word proved, proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. The word proved literally means tested character. Tested character. If we have that tested character, gentlemen, we don't have to worry about what else is going on around us. Because that's going to be what helps us stand up for Christ. 
Remember, these are godly characteristics. They're not the world's characteristics. They're not the world's thought of what we should be. Timothy didn't bend or conform to the pressure of the world, the pressure of his self, his self-centeredness, or the pressure from Satan. I think that's pretty good. The third thing, God is looking for men of conviction. Conviction. Listen, an opinion is something you will argue about. Conviction is something you're willing to die for. Gentlemen, here's the tough part this morning. Are we willing to really die for Christ? Are we willing to die for the cause of Christ? You remember the old saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything? That's true. What do people in your life know that you stand for? Let's think about this for a second. If I were to ask your friends and your family and your co-workers, what would they say that you have convictions about? What do you stand for? Do they even know you well enough to answer that question? Tough question. You know, people of conviction are the kind of people that make an impact, not only in their life, but in other people's lives. That's what they need. Listen, the people that have made the greatest impact on the world, whether they were Christian or non-Christian, think about this. As we look back in history, they weren't the smartest people. They weren't the most educated people. They weren't even the most wealthy people. But they were people that held the strongest conviction about the cause that they were pressing for. And if we are Christians, then we should be pressing for the cause of Christ. Scripture tells us that all the time. Why did they make such a difference? Because they believed in their heart exactly what was coming out of their mouth. That's why. Proverbs 10.9 says, Whoever walks in integrity, circle integrity, highlight, underline it, integrity, walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. You know, God's interested more in your integrity than he is your image. Now, I know for some of us, that's not hard to deal with. But for the social media world we live in, the image for some younger folks is all they have. They live by that. But they need to understand, and we need to understand, that image is not nearly as important to God as integrity. He tells us over and over again. Listen, your image... And we've seen it happen, especially in light of social media issues. And image can disappear overnight. Integrity will not. Character is going to last a lifetime. It's not the image that counts. Integrity is what counts in the bottom line. Listen, if, if you live for image, you kind of have to constantly be asking yourself, is my private life consistent with my public life. And you're always going to have to be double checking and asking yourself, ooh, what does this look like? Oh, is this consistent with this over here? You're going to wear yourself out trying to keep up. It's a fruitless cause. But here's the real tough part. Inconsistent fathers produced insecure children. Inconsistent fathers produce insecure children. And unreliable husbands produce unstable marriages. Gentlemen, are you hearing? 
I told you I was going to pick on you, and I know some of you are going to go out of here madder and hornet at me, but that's okay. <laughs> Inconsistency in our lives as men causes havoc all the way across the board in every single relationship we have. We have to be consistent in order to make it work. Number four, God is looking for men of cooperation. Guys, I know for some of you this is really hard. I hear it sometimes in your voices. I see it sometimes in your eyes. These are men who put cooperation before competition. It's not a competition. We are, we are competitor-oriented, competitor I guess, would be a good way to say it. A lot of men are. That's the way God hardwired us, and that's okay. But we have to remember that as a Christian, God's looking for our cooperation, not only with him, but with one another. Because that's how we get the most things done. You know, Paul was a spiritual superstar, if you want to call him that. He may have well been the most gifted Christian there was besides Christ himself. And think about this. He, yet he even realized that he could accomplish way more with the cooperation of others and him cooperating with others than he could by himself. We have to get beyond this mindset that I invented this, I did this, and I deserve the credit. So what? You know when you do something really overwhelming and it's great and you stand back and you look at it, and I know guys, a lot of you like to work with your hands, and I do too in a lot of cases. I haven't, I haven't done as much in the last few years because of changes in my life. But we like to seek a completed product. We like to see the completed thing. And the tough part for us as men is to realize we can accomplish way more if we have help than trying to do it all by ourselves. We got to get out of this con competitive mindset and the fact that we deserve the credit. Whenever I get that pride thing going in my head, I say, so what? What does it really matter? Who gets the credit? As long as the purpose got completed. Listen, my ideas are good. Your ideas are good. But together they could become great. But we have to be willing to allow that to take place. Paul said if you really want to make an impact in your life, you need to be a person of cooperation. Working together with other people. You don't have to be a Lone Ranger Christian, guys. And you shouldn't be a Lone Ranger Christian. That's why we're here. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a moment. There's three components, if you would, three terms of this, of this godly cooperation that Paul uses here. It's how we should relate to each other. In Philippians 2.25, it says this. I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. God expects me and you to develop relationships, gentlemen, with other believers. Why? The very first thing out of the gate, Paul says, this is a family. The church, the body of Christ, is a family. But the local church is your most immediate spiritual family. Now I want you to listen. We're related. New Testament says brothers more than 133 times. 
sisters is another 100 plus times. But you know what? Some of you grew up in churches where they called each other brothers and sisters. And I think that's a great term. I think it's a loving term. I think it's an endearing term. I think it's an important term that we need to remember what it's all about. We're related. You know, we often talk about this church family thing. But it's really hard for some people to fully grasp what that means until they're in the middle of a crisis. And I want to remind some of you that are here and some of you that may be newer to us. But we had a gentleman in our church several years back that came somewhat regularly with his wife. And she became quite ill. And through the midst of it all, her, her illness became terminal and she went home to be with God. And he came to me in the midst of all this and he said, you know what? You're always talking about this church family thing and I've never really understood it till now. Because you know what happened? You guys that were here, you reached out to him. You offered him food while she was sick. You offered her cards and flowers. You took care of her. You ministered to her. You offered him consolation when she passed away and went home to be with Jesus. And he remembered that. He reminds us of what family is supposed to be all about, especially the family of God. Now, he, in the interim, has went home to be with Jesus himself. But he said, I never really understood what it meant to be part of a church family until that happened. So he's a reminder of that. But here's the catch. If you want to catch, here's the catch. That church family can only truly become a church family when you choose to get involved. When you choose to develop those relationships and allow those other people into your life. If you hold everybody at arm's length, they're not going to be able to connect with you like family. You have an extended set of brothers and sisters that is willing to stand with you, stand beside you, so that you don't have to be that Lone Ranger Christian. He also says, not only is a Christian family, uh, Christian church like a family, he says the church is a fellowship. Paul says he's a fellow worker. What does that mean? We're given the same task, the same mission. We work together and we serve together. He also says we're fellow soldiers. He goes on and says we're all in the same army. We're all fighting the same battle. We're all in this battle together. You don't have to fight alone. Listen, one thing we should all know and understand without a shadow of a doubt is we all have a common enemy. And it's not one another. It's Satan. It's a fellowship. We're fellow workers. And we're family. We need to remember that. And here's the real catch phrase if you would we are responsible for coming alongside each other and not only being beside each other and standing up with each other in the midst of the battle but when one of us gets wounded it's it's imperative that we're willing to bind the wounds of those that are hurt we need to stop shooting our own walking wounded it's our duty to encourage and to defend one another 
Listen, you're not going to make it alone in this Christian life. If you're fighting that battle by yourself, gentlemen, and you're struggling, that's why. You're trying to do it all by yourself. The Holy Spirit's with you. God's with you. Yes, I understand that. But you're not trying to, to do it with any of your fellow brothers or sisters. It's tough. The people that God uses the most are the ones that are learning and have learned. No, I'm sorry. They have learned and are still learning. Cooperation. How to cooperate with one another. It's very, very important. Listen, I, I, I know at each altar call, we talk about if you want to join the church and be a part of this family. You know what? If you can't be a part of this family, I want to encourage you Join a church and be part of the family somewhere so that you can plug in and get to be part of that particular family. Join a small group. Join a Bible study. Get in, get in a home group. But plug in so you're not trying to stand alone. That's when you're most vulnerable to attack from Satan. It's when you're alone. Judges 20.11 says this, so all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, united together as one man. They weren't one man. They were united together as one man. Listen, there's powerful unity and strength in unity. Incredible power. Think about this. A single snowflake. I was going to say it's flaky, but it is, right? A single snowflake is soft, and it's, and, it's, and it's not very tough by itself. But you put all those snowflakes together, and it'll stop traffic. Enough of them. It's the same way with us. If we're willing to stand together and work together and cooperate with one another, we're going to get a whole lot of stuff done. Together, we can make an impact on a lost and dying world. By ourselves, we're not going to make as much of an impact. It's just a fact. There's power in unity. When God's men and women stay united, we will make a major difference. Divided, we will fall. Number five, God is looking for men of commitment. It's a little bit different than conviction. Men who put the cause of Christ before their personal comfort. Men who put the cause of Christ before their personal comfort. This is the single value out of these six I believe it will make you great. Because every once in a while I hear somebody say, well, that guy or gal is not committed to anything. Sort of sad. See, here's, I, here's what I think part of the problem is. We're committed to a whole bunch of different stuff, partially, but we're not 100% committed to the few things that really are important in life anymore. Philippians 2.25 says this. Paul's talking about Epaphroditus. Uh -huh, Epaphroditus. Again. We're just going to call him E. <laughs> Who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Verse 27 says, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. Where is Paul? Paul's in Rome. Paul's in prison. And the church in Philippi says, you know what? Paul's over there. He needs some money. Let's take an offering. 
So if I was to tell you guys, hey, look, we got a, we got a brother or sister in prison, and we need to take an offering, and we're going to send somebody out. This was the guy. He was the guy that was going to take it to Rome. He's going to be the courier of all this money. Right? Now, I want you to think about this. Between Philippi and Rome, it's 800 miles. There's not a lot of boats right now. There's no trains, planes, buses, or cars. So if I ask you, we're going to take this offering, and I want one of you to take this offering to San Antonio. That's about how far it is. 790-some miles from here to San Antonio. 800 miles from Philippi to Rome. How many of you would want to take that trek on foot? Yeah, but this is what this guy was willing to do. He said, for the cause of Christ and for Paul's benefit, I will take that money to him. But see, here's the problem. On his way, he gets sick. And he gets deathly sick. Not just a little sick. This isn't a common cold he caught. Because the terminology that's used in the Bible here where it says he fell ill is the same terminology where Lazarus and Dorcas died. So it is a life-threatening illness that he caught. Have you guys ever been on vacation or on a business trip? I did one time. I was on a business trip and got, got viral spinal meningitis. It was horrible. I was ready to come home, but I couldn't because I was somewhere up in the middle of Utah in a flood area and had to finish what I was doing before I could come home. But how many of you have ever been in a sick situation and the only thing you can think about is how am I going to get home because I want to go home and lay in my own bed. This guy was in the same situation. He said, I just want to go home. But for the sake of Christ and for Paul, I'm going to continue on to take this money. He was persistent despite his pain, despite his problems. He was committed to finishing the task. Gentlemen, I want you to listen carefully. God's not impressed with flash in the pans or great starters. He is impressed with great finishers. That's what he wants. He's impressed with those that will put the cause of Christ before personal comfort. You know, it's, it's a sad thing, but I think a lot of us, men and women, will tend to put our personal comfort before the cause of Christ in a lot of cases. I do, sometimes. I really want to put the cause of Christ first, especially in the position that I'm in. But sometimes personal comfort overwhelms. Ministry will always cost and exhaust. Ministry will always cost and exhaust. James 2.17 says, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. What does that mean? If it's not accompanied by action, it is dead. It means that if I read it in the Bible and I don't do it and I don't put it into practice, then I don't really believe it. Think about that one for a second. Because if I read it and I don't do it, then I'm not really believing it. 
So what parts of the Bible, guys, are we not believing? What parts of the Bible we're not doing that we know we've read, we know it's in there, but we're saying, you know what? I just don't know. What is that? God is looking for men and women of action. He's looking for men and women of initiative. He's looking for men who will take a stand and be committed. You know, when I was doing marriage counseling, more than I am now, I mean, I, I still do marriage counseling, but not nearly as much. One of the biggest complaints I heard women come with was that they had passive husbands. And I want you to get what I'm saying. They would say, you know, my husband, when he goes to work or he goes to his business, he is just go, go, go. He's willing to tackle any task. He's absolutely up front. But when it comes to spiritual matters, when he comes home, he's spiritually passive. He relinquishes and basically gives away all spiritual leadership to me. And then what happens is if I take the lead in it, he gets mad at me. Or he's jealous of the fact that I will take the lead in it and, and do something spiritually with the children where he won't. Now, guys, I know that's tough, but sometimes we are more concerned with getting the job done than we are with the relationships. That's what Scripture is saying. You know, we can be the, a, a great husband and a go-getter father to provide for our families, but if we miss those opportunities for relationships, we're missing something. Sometimes those wives would tell me that their husbands even resented their wives' spiritual relationship. Guys, don't do that. Listen, as men, I think we need to step up and be the type of man that God wants us to be and the type of husband that our wives need. It's not that hard. Is it tough? Yeah. It's not easy. But it's what God asks us to do. It's what God, in a lot of cases, commands us to do. Step up and be that man that God wants you to be. Number six. God is looking for men of courage. Men of courage. Men who will put service before security. Service before security. Men who are willing to take risks for God's kingdom. Look at Philippians 2.29. Now he's talking about E again. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. Risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Circle, underline, or highlight that word risking. It says we're to honor men like that. Men who risk their lives for the sake and the cause of Christ. You know, risk, the word risk is actually a gambling term. It means hazarding. So Paul is saying here, you know what? Epaphroditus he, he actually was gambling, godly gambling his life 
by continuing on to take this offering to Paul. He was gambling with his very life. But he says, you know what? He continued on. You know, when I read things like that, I have to ask myself this question. Is my commitment to Jesus Christ deep enough to risk anything? Is it deep enough to risk everything, including my life? I often wonder. Is it deep enough for you, gentlemen, to risk anything? To risk your time, to risk your reputation, to risk your finances, to risk maybe even your own family? Listen, the question I have for you this morning, when he tells you to do something, guys, are you doing it? Do you do it? Do you follow through? Are you committed to complete the task that he set before you to do? And do you do it in a godly way? I, I think, I think, I could be wrong, but I think in a lot of churches today, they're filled with individuals, men and women sometimes, with Christianity that has no teeth. And let me explain what I mean by that. There's no challenge, there's no commitment, there's no sacrifice, there's no dedication, therefore there are no real heroes of the faith being developed. We have the opportunity to change that. But we have to take those six characteristics and put them in to practical use. And gentlemen, I'm laying the responsibility square on the shoulders of where it should be, ours. As the men of the church, it is our responsibility to do that. Do the women need to be involved? Absolutely. But they should not be carrying that banner up front leading the charge. I recently read of a 71-year-old man. Let me, let, me, let me read part of this to you. He finally retired and went out traveling around the world building churches. He's been down in the jungles of Brazil, Guatemala, and Australia. He was up in Alaska near the Arctic Circle. He's been in the inner cities, roughest parts of L.A. He's been out in the country, in the plains, out in Idaho. All the time going at his own expense. He's built over 80 churches. He retired at 71. He's paid his own way. He puts service to God before security. He said this, while I'm here, God has a plan and I have a purpose. I'm going to make my life count in a way that I'm gifted. He's gifted me to use my hands. So that's what I'm going to do. We've got guys in church that are like that. Right here. They'll pay their own way. They'll see that things get done. They're not worried about who gets credit. And gentlemen, I commend you for that. Because that's the way God wants us to function. Guys who at their own cost will make sure that a difference is being made in this congregation and in this community. 
Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Once again, circle, highlight, or underline that word offer. We are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. I've told you before, the problem with a living sacrifice is they will crawl off the altar. We come in here on Sunday and we say, God, I give it all to you. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I give you my hands. I give you everything I've got. I'm willing. And then Monday morning, Monday afternoon, we're AWOL. Because we come in and sing, marching as Christian soldiers. And then that afternoon, we're AWOL. Because we're off on another venture. Or we're off on another task. Listen. Those heroes of our faith, they were willing and they offered to God everything they were. Are we doing that? Are we willing to do that? What am I offering to God to whom I owe everything? If you are sitting here this morning and you are a Christian and you genuinely believe that he came and he lived and he died on that cross and was buried in the grave for three days and he rose again so that you could have new life and you could go to heaven one day, then my question is the same to you. What am I offering back to him to whom I owe everything? Not because you have to, but because you want to. Because you desire to. Are you offering to God your time? Are you giving him your talent? Are you giving him your tithe? And I want to get into that because some people say, you know what? We don't have to pay the tithe. Well, you know what? God says, if you will give 10% back of what I give you, then I can take and I can bless other people because of what, how I blessed you. I don't want to get into the legalistics of it. God is looking for people who will put service before security. I'm simply asking guys this morning, are you doing what God's telling you to do? What's it costing you to be a Christian? Mark 8, 35 from the New Century Version says this. Those who want to save their lives will, will give up true life, but those who give up their lives for me and for the good news will have true life. What does that mean? It means that the mark of greatness is doing what we need to do to serve God. Think about this. I sometimes talk to some guys that are very frustrated. They're, they seem sort of out of place. They just don't know what to do with themselves. They're bored, and they say they're unfulfilled. Why are they unfulfilled? Well, I have a theory. Maybe wrong, maybe right. I think it's because they lack challenges in their life. Ladies, if you haven't figured this out with the man in your life or the men in your life, uh, newsflash, Guys need challenges. We as men need challenges. They've lost their spirit of adventure. They've lost the spirit, or maybe they had it and they lost it, or maybe they didn't have it to begin with. I don't know which. But they've not yet found their purpose. I am here to tell you, one of the biggest challenges you can have as a man it's to serve God 100% in front of your friends, your family, your co-workers, and total strangers. 
Because if you serve God 100% in front of all those folks, number one, they're going to think you're a little off-center. And number two, after you progress in this mindset and you get it together of how it's supposed to work and you figure out what God's plan is in your life and what his purpose is for you to serve, then they're going to say, what's different about that guy? I want to know what's different about that guy. And then they'll start asking you questions. You won't have to go looking for them. They'll come looking for you. Listen, if you haven't yet found your purpose in God's family, get completely sold out for him 100%. And I guarantee you he'll start showing you your purpose. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Listen, God is always looking for sincere, committed, convicted, compassionate people to use. Always. You know, I ask myself, um, I, as I'm looking at this, you know, he's, he's always looking for those consistent people, those cooperative people, those courageous people. If we go back and we look at what Paul said, he said, there aren't many like Timothy. Why is that? I got to thinking about that. Why are they so rare? I think it's because we struggle with those six items. We struggle with the consistency. We struggle with the commitment. We struggle with the conviction. We struggle with compassion. We struggle with not only understanding those things, but putting them into practical application. So guys, I want to encourage you this morning. If you're here this morning, I want you to really think about those things. That greatest challenge we can have that we'll ever face is to be 100% sold out to Jesus. Completely turned on for Christ in front of family, friends, co-workers, and strangers. So my question, yeah, and, and here's the thing, this, this is not an opportunity for wimps. If you're wimpy-hearted or you're weak-willed, this may not be your cup of tea. But I want to encourage you this morning that if you're willing to cross that threshold and move forward, you know, think about Timothy and Epaphroditus. 2,000 plus years ago. And we're still talking about them today. Why? Because they were men of value. They were men of character. They were godly men sold out for the cause of Christ. You know, oftentimes when I prepare sermons, I sit and I think, you know, what's going to be the long-term effect of my life on the individuals that I've had the opportunity to influence with the Word of God? What's going to be, what's that going to look like? What legacy am I going to leave for people to be able to put into practice? Gentlemen, I'm asking you this morning, what legacy are you leaving for that circle of influence that you have 
the ability to impact in your life? What legacy are you leaving? What's going to be the long-term effect that you're going to leave on the rest of the world when you're gone? Now, ladies, I want you to listen, but this morning I want to pray specifically for the men. And men, I really want you to listen. And this was not meant to be judgmental. This was not meant to be harsh. This was meant to remind us that we are to be the spiritual leaders in the home and we are to be the spiritual leaders in the body of Christ. And I know it's Father's Day, and I know that a lot of it didn't just pertain to fathers. It pertained to men in general. Some of you may be fathers. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you are. I'm happy for you. I hope your quiver is full, as Craig said earlier. But you know what? Guys, there's some times that we just have to reevaluate ourselves and look at who we really are in the name of Jesus. So let's pray. I'd like every bow, head bowed, every eye closed. Guys, my, my, my question for you this morning is, are you really man enough to get serious about God? If you are, then I'd like you to just pray this prayer with me. And I prepared this in advance, so I, I want you to know I am reading part of it, and I am praying part of it. But I, gentlemen, I really I think this is important. This has really been on my heart heavy as of late. Father, I want to be a man of God. I've made a lot of mistakes, but in my heart, I want to be the 100% man of God that I need to be. I want to be a man of compassion, to have godly relationships and those results that are balanced in my life. I want to be a man of consistency, to put that character before conformity. Help me to stand up for what is right, for what your word says is right. I desire to be that man of conviction and cooperation by supporting my Christian brothers rather than being uh, competing with them. And Lord, I want to be a man of commitment. I want to put the cause of Christ before my personal comfort. And Father, I need to be a man of courage to put service before personal security. I know I've got a long way to go. But these are desires of my heart. And I pray, Lord, that it's the desires of each man that is here and listening today to put these things into their life and to practice them. Men, if you prayed that prayer with me, I honor you for your commitment or your recommitment today, whatever that might have been. And Lord, I want to thank you for these men who are saying we want our lives to count. None of us are there yet. But it's not, it's not where we were, it's where we're going that really counts. It's where we're headed. We just want to be 100% totally committed to you. Now, Father, I know that it's not going to be easy. I know that as soon as we step out of this building, maybe even before, Satan is going to try to sidetrack us. He's going to try to causes problems through conflicts and criticism and other frustrations but I know Lord that the combined influence of these men that are here this morning the concentrated effort and cooperation 
can make a huge impact in this community and in that circle of influence that we have. We want to give all the glory to God and we want to help grow your church. And I believe that that power that you give us to do that should never be underestimated. Lord, I pray that you give us a big, big vision. Give us a big vision and give us the heavenly wisdom to know how to fulfill it. Help us be those godly gamblers risking everything to be a part of your army. Teach us to be better friends. Teach us, for those of who are us who are married, teach us to be better husbands. For those of us who are fathers, how to be better fathers. Teach us to treat all women with the right respect and dignity that they deserve. And teach us to maintain those priorities in our schedules to take time to talk to you and listen to you every single day. And Father, I pray that each man here, as he draws closer to you, discover his ministry in this church family and that he find his purpose so that he would be challenged and he can serve and give back to you. Once again, not so much because we have to, but because we want to. Wives, if you're here today, I just want you to reach over and take your husband's hand. And if you believe in the fact that he's dedicated this to you this morning, to God this morning, and you're willing to back him up on this, just say, I want to also rededicate myself to serving you, Lord. I want to take and make this a team effort. I want to stand back to back with my husband. Because here's the bottom line. Our nation is never stronger than our churches and our churches are never stronger than our families and our families are never stronger than the church as a whole. God, give us the strength that we need in these crazy times. Give us godly homes. And I simply ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can and would, stand please. Only trust.
trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. He will save you, He will save you, He will save you now. Yes, Jesus is the truth, the way that leads you into rest. Believe in Him without delay. And you are fully blessed. Only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. He will save you, He will save you, He will save you now. Join this holy band and on to glory go to dwell in that celestial land where joys immortal flow. Only trust him, only trust him. Only trust Him now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you couple of quick things. Uh, I just understood Ruth Heatherly is pretty ill. She's not feeling well. Uh, so we want you guys to pray for her. And Lance Heathman is going to have surgery on the 28th. Um, so be praying for him. It's brain surgery. So it could be quite, quite overwhelming. So we don't know what that's going to look like yet. Um, we'll get more information in the bulletin for that. But also right now, Miss Tammy Maines Justine, would you come out here and stand with her? Tammy says she knows uh, Jesus as her Savior, but she's never been baptized, and she's never been part of a family. <laughs> so we're coming. She's coming today to do that, and we will make arrangements with her and sit and meet with her in the next few days here. And when that baptism is ready, we'll let you guys know so that you can be a part of that, okay? So as we have our closing song, if you would, just come by and welcome her. And then we'll be more and do more talking with her as the week goes on. So please do that right now. Thank you, guys. Let's stand together and sing, Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. 
you came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross my debt to pay from the cross to the grave from the grave to the sky lord i lift your name on high lord i lift your name on high lord i love to sing your praises I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. My dad to pay from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. You came from heaven. To show the way from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. 